Good morning and welcome to the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. We're a spiritual community dedicated to the free search for truth and meaning, and we're very glad that you all are here. I send a special welcome to those of you who are visiting for the first time. Um, We come from a heritage of teaching that there's a spark of the divine in every person. Um, And also a spark of the divine, sometimes people believe, in every being. So the way we greet the divine in our midst is by turning to the people to our right and left and welcoming them here this morning. This is our question box sermon Sunday. And so you got a little square piece of paper that says, what is your question? And if you have one, please write it down here in the next 10 minutes or so because during the monthly service offering, which is coming up, I want you to not only put your service offering money in, but put your question in as well. And then the ushers will go separate the questions from the money and bring me the questions. Let us say together the words by which we light the chalice, which is the symbol of our faith. Love is the spirit of this church, and service is its law. This is our great covenant, to dwell together in peace, to seek the truth in love, and to help one another. The call to worship is by Richard Dawkins. After sleeping through a hundred million centuries, we have finally opened our eyes on a sumptuous planet, sparkling with color, bountiful with life. Within decades, we must close our eyes again. Isn't it a noble and enlightened way of spending our brief time in the sun to work at understanding the universe and how we have come to wake up in it? This is how I answer when I am asked, as I am surprisingly often, why I bother to get up in the mornings. The reason that a congregation has a mission statement is so that we can use it to measure our decisions, so that we can use it for guidance as we walk our path or roll our path or crutch along our path or run. Whatever we, however we go into the future, it is good to have an endpoint of something that we're hoping to go toward, a north star by which we steer. And this is our congregation's mission, and we say it together every Sunday. Together we nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice to build the beloved community. The meditation reading is by Anne Rice from The Vampire Lestat. Very few beings really seek knowledge in this world, mortal or immortal. Few really ask. On the contrary, they try to wring from the unknown the answers they have already shaped in their own minds. Justifications, confirmations, Forms of consolation without which they can't go on. To really ask is to open the door to the whirlwind. The answer may annihilate the question and the questioner. Now is the time in our service when we enter together into an attitude of meditation and prayer so that we can speak to God as we understand God or listen in our heads or listen to our wisdom 
or just follow our breath as it comes in and out of our bodies. In this congregation, the wise silence is sometimes um, added to by tiny noises from children and the sounds of life that counts as silence for us. Let us enter into the wise silence together.
You all came up with wonderful questions. Thank you. Um, Why do we light the chalice is one. We light the chalice to remind ourselves that at the center of our faith is the light of truth, the warmth of love, the power of commitment. Um, The chalice was invented as a symbol for our faith during World War II, where some Unitarians, about whom you might have seen the documentary, um, started trying to rescue Jews from the Nazis. And this was um, the UU Service Committee, I believe, their symbol on boxes of uh, aid and um, places to meet. And so we're we love incorporating elements from the stories of Unitarian Universalists and their lives. And the chalice reminds us of this period in our history and how um, we want to be those same people right now. Um, do you use believe in the afterlife? I think some do. And I think it depends on what you mean by life. I, I think my body will be um, part of a tree at some point and maybe part of the leaves at some point, my carbon. And then if a worm eats the leaf, then I'll be part of a worm. And if a bird eats the worm, I think there's a cowboy song about this. <laughs> if a bird eats the worm, I'll be part of a bird. I don't know if that's what people mean by reincarnation, but... Um, And as far as whether the soul or spirit exists after death, nobody knows. Nobody knows. And the Buddha said, when one of his disciples said, where does our spirit go after we die? The Buddha said, where does the light go when it goes out? Um, How do you deal with jealousy, professional or romantic? Great question. Um, I'll tell you what I love about a a woman, a life coach named Martha Beck. Martha Beck talks about using your jealousy as a map as to where your spirit is calling you to go next. So if you sit in a room and somebody's doing something over there that you really feel, I should be doing that, I really want to be doing that, then that is a map to where you are being called to go next. Does that make sense? So if... if, um, if you read an author's book and say, I, I want to write a book. Why does she get to write a book and I don't get to write a book? It's like, yeah, you could. If you just, the secret to writing a book is um, sitting in a chair and writing. <laughs> Any other thing is not going to get it done. So it's, pretty, it's pretty zen. And romantic jealousy, oh, that's hard. That's hard, but sometimes you can ask yourself, what does that person have? What qualities does that person have that I want? And sometimes when you're, when you are jealous of a person, again, it's like a map and you say, maybe I could develop some of those qualities in myself. Jealousy is really hard. I'm not pretending it's easy, but um, if I were you, I'd read Martha Beck. Just Google Martha Beck jealousy map. I love this one. On my spiritual path, I've encountered teachers who say uh, either your feelings are 
your guide along your personal path, or conversely, you are not your feelings. <laughs> Which way do I go? Yeah, um, I'm a pagan enough person to think that everything that is in us is there for a reason, is there for our, our aid. And that I, I don't want to rise above my body and I don't want to rise above this life and I don't want to rise above jealousy or rise above. I don't want to rise. I just want to be messing around right now in the middle of it. And so if I'm having feelings, it helps to say, I'm having this feeling. Um, and it helps to name the feeling. Sometimes you just feel hungry. <laughs> but um, if you go, is this, is this mad, sad, glad? What kind of feeling-ish is this? Once you can name it, you can kind of follow it. And maybe it um, has something for you. Or maybe it's just passing through your life like a cloud over the sun, as the Dalai Lama says, anger does. Just pass through your life and let it go. I don't know the answer. Here's what I know. If it makes sense to you, that's good. If it doesn't make sense to you, don't believe it. And... Um, if anything that you are being asked to believe or think feels like shackles on your wrist, don't believe that. Does that make sense? If somebody says, the way you are is just wrong, you go, no, the way I am is not wrong. So, um, This question is great, too. And I'm going to paraphrase because it's long. Um, basically, Richard Dawson said, we are all atheists when it comes to gods like Zeus and Ra and uh, the old gods that people used to believe in, but not many people believe in them anymore, although I believe if you went on the internet, you could find people. Um, <laughs> but Zeus is just a way of saying, another way of pronouncing Deus, which is another way of pronouncing Dios, which is another way of saying God. And so people have always believed Many people have always believed in some kind of a higher power. It's just had different names. And I love what the Hindus say, that each god is lit from the central flame. It's like a candle lit by one flame. And is it 300 different flames, or is it the same flame? We don't know. But when I hear somebody say, oh, no, Allah is a totally different god from God, I go, that can't be true. There can't be dueling gods up there. That doesn't make any sense. Even one god up there doesn't make any sense a lot of days. So um, I, think, I think as we evolve, we'll come up with some kind of way of talking about this experience that human beings have. And if so many human beings have an experience with mystery, it seems unscientific not to talk about it. Does that make sense? So how do we talk about our experience with mystery? What name do we give to it? A lot of very scientific people in our congregation have had experiences that they can't explain scientifically. Um, that's okay. It's a very common human experience. We can't ignore it just because we can't explain it. Does that make sense? And so if you call it God, that's great. If you call it the divine or mystery or the ground of our being, that's fine. And you don't have to, you know, a, a thing that really exists is a thing that exists whether you believe in it or not. So if there's a thing, a mystery with which we have an experience, it's worth talking about. It might just be a glitch in our brain chemistry, but 
uh, might be an actual thing that we just haven't decided how to measure yet. Does that make any sense? I'm going to need feedback for some of these. (laughs) Our moving music is so great, but why are so many of the songs in the UU hymnal so hard to sing? (laughs) Do all UU churches use the same hymnal? No, some of them use a hymnal that's harder. (laughs) Yeah, they're all Protestant songs, and I think Catholic songs, too, are hard to sing. They're just hard to sing, and I don't know why. I think it's because actual singers write them down, and so they're written down in notes that these folks could sing, but most folks can't sing. And so you find yourself going, (laughs) trying to make that note that you're going to hear one of them actually sing later. Um, So, yeah, uh, we keep trying. Uh, We keep trying. Why, when so many of us are unbelievers, do we use the word worship? We would never bow down to anyone or anything. Worship comes from the Old English, worth, Skype, which means holding up what is of worth. Holding up what is of worth. So worship is where we just lift our values and speak of our values and shine the light on the beauty and the courage and the transformation that we could experience. That's why. In order to grow the beloved community within our congregation, would you consider using one skit each week that would call attention to the ways white folks unthinkingly exercise their privilege or systemic racism? The aim is to create aha moments. Yeah, I think if y'all write a skit that would do that, we could have it in the congregation's worship service. That would be great. I think once a month is a, a lot of skits. Did they say once a month or once a week? They said once a week. Uh, that ain't happening. But um, <laughs> if I have to write them, but if y'all write them, you write as many as you want, give them to me, and if I feel like they'll create an aha moment, we'll do a skit for sure. I would welcome all the help I can get in that area being a white person who's sometimes unaware of ways that I use my privilege. (laughs) This person is a devil. If a train leaves Chicago at 45 miles an hour. This was at the first service, too. Why are there so few people of color here? How can we be a more diverse, welcoming space? That is a great question, and one which Unitarian Universalists have been asking themselves for years. And I'm going to be talking about it uh, next Sunday a little bit, a little bit. Uh, We used to be a more diverse group. And then the people who were in charge got all tangled up and kind of drove all the people of color uh, out uh, by disappointing them so drastically. And so um, there used to be a lot of churches that were quite diverse in terms of um, people of color and people who identify as white. And what the problem is, is seems to be that 
when, um, when churches ask themselves, how, how can we get more diverse? They mostly want the satisfaction of going, aha, we've got hues in the pews. And, um, and, and that is not what we're after um, because it's creepy to say, I'm going after this group. I want, to, I want people of color, and so I'm just going to stalk some people of color and try to make them come to my church. I was in a church that wanted more gay people, and they were like, how can we get more gay people? I'm like, no, 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 that's creepy. Don't, don't be stalking gay people. No. Just make yourself a place where people can come and feel safe and welcomed. And um, what we're working on in this congregation, slowly, carefully, persistently, is how do we make ourselves, those of us who are people of color and those of us who identify as white, how do we make ourselves a group in which the seeds of a multicultural congregation can grow? How do we keep from plucking them and going, grow faster, you know, the, the, the farmer that pulled on the, the plants to make them grow faster, you can't, um, I, I, was, I was helping raise two children uh, who were uh, children of color for a long time, and whenever we would go into a UU church, because I was traveling and speaking, whenever we would all come into the UU church, people would just descend on those children, because we usually um, upped the diversity quotient by a half, and um, and it was scary for them. So that's like pulling on the shoots. And um, then later I've told you the story of some folks who came in the door and were asked on their second visit if they would be on the anti-racism committee. It's like, no. It starts in here to change if you're a person who identifies as white, to become aware of the systemic racism, which you could have in this country, whether there were any individual racists or not, and the individual um, blind spots of white privilege that you might have and you might accidentally, accidentally, uh, with all good intentions, do or say something which drives a person of color out of the church or drives a gay person out of the church or just drives a person out of the church on one wonderful class on how to grow your congregation is called How to Repel Fewer Visitors. <laughs> um, one of my colleagues wrote on Facebook, he said, people keep asking me how we should grow our church, and my answer is, smile more, be less weird. I think he was just about to retire. Um, how do you respond when asked, are you saved? Uh-huh. <laughs> it's not hard. Or you say, if you, if you love the person, what do you mean by saved? And if they go on and on and on about what they mean by saved, then you go, uh-huh. You once said we need to give our inner critic a job. How do we do that? I'll tell you how I do it. When my inner critic starts kicking up, 
I imagine a lecture room at UT fitted out with all the latest extravagant technology. And I give my inner critic them, I, I don't know if it's a him or her usually, I give them a class full of students who are listening attentively and taking notes. And then they can lecture as long as they want to the students about how I'm doing everything wrong, and I can go about my business. I did a class about uh, dreams long ago, and I talked about the inner critic a little bit. And a guy came up to me in tears at the break, and he said, I have been, I've been mistaking my inner critic for God's voice and worshiping it. Um, what is spiritual achievement or advancement in you? you? That's a great question, too. Um, to me, spirituality is whatever increases your love, your compassion, your capacity for being with people who are both joyful and sorrowful. Spirituality is what increases your patience, um, your love for justice, your ability to um, weather the storms of running out of gas or money or having a kid who's not doing well or feeling pain in your body, whether those storms with, if not equanimity, at least just with some kind of um, understanding and not taking it out on the people around you. Does that make sense? There's no way to do some things with, with joy and peace in your heart. You can't go through a divorce with joy and peace in your heart. No. You can't go through a bankruptcy with joy and peace in your heart. No. It's hard to lose a job with joy and peace in your heart. Sometimes distressing situations are just distressing. But if you have a spiritual rootedness or a spiritual core, you can find a way to have clarity about it and to maybe have some ideas about how it's um, helping you in the long run. I think more spiritual people are just people who don't, they don't yell at folks on the phone that they don't know. They don't send nasty emails. They are kind even to folks they don't know, even when their toe is hurting. They are, um, they're sturdy people that you can trust not to be your ideal person, but you can trust them to be themselves. Does that make sense? And I don't believe that the more you don't blink, the more spiritual you are. Because <laughs> some people do spirituality like, my voice is always going to sound like this, and I'm not going to blink. And I'm going to talk in a really kind of soft, questiony way. And I have an exact idea of what a spiritual person is. And if you're not that, I'm going to be really cruel to you. That's not how we do it. What's your personal vision for how we as a congregation will build the beloved community? The work of our board was all last year to listen to you guys and make goals for the congregation. And lo, they did make a list of goals which are amazing and fabulous. 
And then my job as the minister, the executive, is to interpret those goals and say, here's what I think you mean. And the board goes, that's what we meant, or "Mm, no. And once I do the interpretation, then I, and I also have uh, an idea of how we can measure whether that's happening or not. And so it makes the lofty goals more concrete. And then I have a staff, a wonderful staff, and a wonderful minister of program support, and we all together. So it doesn't matter what my vision is, it's what your vision is. And my job is to move us toward the vision that you communicated to the board. Does that make sense? Yanni or Laurel? (laughs) Laurel all day, every day. (laughs) With the discovery of organics and the possibility of life on Mars, did Jesus appear to Martians? No. If service is the law of this church, why don't we have more people volunteering? I ask myself that all the time. I think we have some scoff laws around here. What is the one most important UU teaching? This is like the lawyer who said to Jesus, can you stand on one foot and tell me the law? Um, Anyway, not equating myself with Jesus in any way. But the one most important you, you teaching, I would say, is, is live with love and, and stand with love. All right. I'm going to have to um, write sermons about the rest of these. But thank you for all the sermon ideas. I really do appreciate your thoughtfulness and your questioning. And I hope that some of these answers have been helpful to you. And I hope that you will email me if you feel more urgent about the answer and it didn't come to you today, that you will email me and I'll do my best to get you an answer. Does, does that work? Will you please say with me the words by which we extinguish our chalice? We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again. Alone while bird in lofty flight is still with thee, nor leaves thy sight. And I am thine, I rest in thee, great spirit come and rest. Go in peace. This is a production of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, go to our website at austinuu.org.